Spiritual Coaching Podcast. We're teaching spiritual coaches how to guide Christians into a full and fearless devotion to God. Welcome. The goal of the Spiritual Coaching Podcast is to encourage and equip those whose God-given mission is to provide spiritual direction to the Church of Jesus Christ. We're training warriors to fight for the human heart. Our spiritual coaching is driven by a singular belief that every wound in our heart that's left untouched by God will hinder how deeply we can know Him and how fully we can follow Him. Only healthy hearts are free to develop a relationship with God that outlasts the pressures of life and every unworthy claim for our loyalty and devotion. Hello, allow me to introduce myself. I'm Kerry Crystal. I'm a pastor and I've been doing spiritual coaching for my entire pastoral career that now spans multiple decades. And these podcasts are designed to teach you how to engage in the same life calling. What I'll share, it isn't the only way to see the subject of pastoral counseling and maybe not even the best way, but it's the paradigm through which I coach and serve. I'll start by addressing some foundational philosophy that undergirds all that I do, uh, continue with some conversations about the life and the heart of the coach themselves, and then we'll move on to talk about practices and principles. Once we've covered these first talks that I've already scripted out, we'll address various other subjects as uh, one-offs as they come up. We may go back and fill in some details around what we've already said, and uh, we'll tackle some new material as well. These podcasts were initially and primarily written for our spiritual coaching teams across our multiple locations, but I also had in mind a wider audience that includes all of you who want to engage in this vital work. With, with more heart and precision and purpose. Uh, I approach topics as if I'm talking to spiritual coaches, so they won't lend themselves for use with those you coach. They're designed with a depth of theology and practice that will not be appropriate, at least not in this format, for all audiences. I'm going to deal with subjects with less tact and you know wordsmithing and political correctness than you might want to use when actually in the spiritual coaching chair. I also try to approach this in a way that will be accessible to you no matter how much formal education or experience doing spiritual coaching that you have. The goal was that these podcasts would not be too technical for the untrained or uninitiated to follow. You know, I don't plan on being overly technical or use a lot of professional terminology or complicated techniques so that anyone with a heart for spiritual coaching, you know, you should be able to follow along. My terms and illustrations will be more like Jesus's, uh, applicable and relatable to the common man and woman, with illustrations that are readily accessible and adaptable for use in the spiritual coaching office. If you're looking for tools to use in your spiritual coaching practice, listen to the end and we'll tell you how to find them. All right, we'll get started. If we're going to talk about spiritual coaching, there's a need to be clear up front about what spiritual growth or spiritual maturity is. If we have the wrong goal in mind, much of what we say about spiritual coaching, it's not going to make a lot of sense. So we're going to begin with what it's not, what spiritual coaching, what spiritual growth or spiritual maturity is not. And the first thing I'd say is that Um, It's not the process of acquiring religious, spiritual, or biblical information. What we don't know does not always or automatically produce heart change. In fact, it's not something that comes automatically with time either, meaning that your spiritual age is also not an accurate measurement of maturity. One who's only been in a relationship with Jesus for a couple years can theoretically be more spiritually advanced than someone with 20 years under their belt. I say theoretically because God does not leave us where we are for two decades. If we're close to him, we should have grown past two years old. If we haven't grown, we should consider the state of our relationship with God. Also, we're not coaching towards increased morality, not really at its core. Many faith traditions teach morality, justice, kindness, service, and selfless living. 
And um, we're not talking about, we're talking about spiritual maturity. We're not talking about, you know, being a good steward of, of all that God has given to us. Stewardship just being a word that means faithful management. Uh, and as Christians, when we're talking about stewardship, uh, we measure that per the guidelines of the one that gave us the stuff we're stewarding, which means that God sets the guidelines for determining what faithful stewardship means. Again, many who don't believe in Jesus Christ, they teach their followers to use their gifts and resources for the good of the group they belong to. So uh, knowledge and morality and selfless service, these are all good things, of course, and there are aspects of a Christ follower's life, but they can all be done without building a relationship with God or without coming to truly know Him and uh, more personally. In fact, uh, you can do all those things and not be a Christian in any way, shape, or form. Uh, understand, too, that we can be related to someone and yet, and yet not know them, maybe not even have even met them. You know, it's possible to be a Christ follower, uh, a very immature one only, but not really know or follow Him very well. But to stay in that immature place is incongruent with the biblical way of life. Knowledge, age, morality, sacrifice, family ties, they do not inevitably or automatically lead to spiritual maturity any more than they define what it is. They are evidences or outcomes, but not the goal or the thing itself. So, what is the goal of spiritual coaching in the life of a Christ follower? All right, enough about what spiritual growth is not. What I'll say next is woven inextricably into the very foundational fabric of spiritual coaching, so listen to this next part well. And I've been saying it like this for years. Uh, the primary reason Jesus died on the cross was not to forgive our sins. <clears throat> to those of you that have been around the church for a while, that might sound a little off to you. But let me clarify it this way. The primary reason Jesus died on the cross was to restore us to a relationship with himself. He did it by paying the punishment for our sins for us, by dying in our place, saving us from our sin, and bringing us back to God. But sin is not the focal point of the good news. God is. Uh, the means was justification, you know, big theological word that means we were made right with God. The means was this justification, but redemption, which means relational restoration, now that was the goal. Redemption is the process of buying back. A repossessing something that was previously yours, but somehow was lost. Redemption turns dispossession into possession. God restored us to relationship with him, which was lost because of sin. This point, that the gospel is about relationship, is so important that it's the very first thing Satan attacked. What, this is what spiritual coaches are fighting to reveal to the coached. That the battle is over one simple truth, one essential clarification, one simple misunderstanding, first introduced by Satan um, and the serpent in Eden. Here's what the enemy of our soul says. He says, God is holding information back from you in an attempt to control you. He says, if you eat the fruit, it won't be the end of the world and you won't die. Uh, your eyes will be opened, you'll be like God, and you will know right from wrong. And you will have no need for God anymore. You'll be able to do just fine on your own. And that's the lie. Unfortunately, Eve was convinced, and, but it's not all on her. Adam joined her in an attempt to replace God with information. They dreamed that this knowledge would make them as wise as God and therefore make them equal with God. But as usual, what the enemy told her was only half true. Her eyes were indeed open, but it didn't bring her any closer to God. In fact, it drove her from God, just as Satan knew it would. It led to shame, fear, and the inability to be completely open with God. This was clearly illustrated by their instinct to cover themselves after they ate from the forbidden tree. 
They made clothes to hide their nakedness, which means they hid and held back from God. Eve immediately knew that the serpent had deceived her, but it was too late. Now, the devil has elaborated on that same basic lie over the years. He has come up with different ways of saying it, but the essential message has never changed. It's a lie that we don't need God. We just need to look inside ourselves and find what we need. God uh, lied to us. There's nothing to fear in living without him. You know, gain wisdom. Open yourself to anything and everything that, um, and you'll know good from evil apart from any need for God to teach it to you. Just set your own standards. Do whatever feels good and it will be the right thing to do. Forget him and trust yourself. Life can be all you want it to be without a relationship with God. Of course, that is all bogus. The truth is that we were created in the image of God. Why? Well, because he planned for us to be in a relationship with him. God made us enough like himself that a relationship was possible. Brute beasts do not have a relationship with God. Uh, this may be the most glorious difference between animals and humanity. Uh, we not only can have a relationship with God, but living is synonymous with a relationship with God. And death is the same as a lack of a relationship with him. Every creature on the planet is God's unique creation, but as far as people go, we are not all his children. Uh, God in the gospel invites us to become the children of God. When we become his children, we do not automatically have a relationship. We have potential, a right, a gift, but that has to be unwrapped. But that's not the same thing as actually having a relationship. Potential isn't the same thing as having the thing that the potential makes uh, open to us. We can be related to someone and yet not know them, and even have never met them. The gift must be unwrapped and played with. So we're saved to this potential for relationship, not to possession of it. That possession has to be worked for. Technically, we aren't leading people to salvation. We're leading them to Jesus, who saves them from their sin and lostness. We're not leading people to salvation. That's impersonal. We're leading people to God. We're leading people to Jesus because Jesus saves. But sin and all the baggage we live uh, with creates barrier after insufferable barrier between us and him. Every one of those walls that gets torn down brings us that much closer to living fully how we were designed to live. We are created to know God. We are rescued to know God, not to... To be smart, moral, self-giving, or spiritual. These things help and improve a relationship, but are servants to it. They're means to an end and not the end. They're fruit, but not the tree. In John 17, 3, it says, And this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. Now, pardon me a little geekiness here, but that Greek word, know, it says to know God, it means uh, to learn to know a person through direct personal hands-on experience. It's a, a knowing that comes with an understanding and an accuracy that's gained or verified through personal familiarity. And it implies a relationship of steadiness and continuity and progression. This is a kind of knowing that leads to a certain kind of doing, actually doing the will of God in heaven. Matthew 7, 21-23 says, Not everyone calls out to me, Lord, Lord. Not every one of those will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name, performed many miracles, all in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, 
you who break God's law. Now, it seems to me that, you know, prophesying and casting out demons and doing miracles, they're, they're all pretty spiritual activities. But they're apparently not the same as knowing God well enough to do His will. They're apparently not the same as knowing God well enough to do His will. A spiritually mature person knows God well, having gained this knowledge through hands-on experience, experience gained by allowing God into more and more of their lives to, to heal and transform them. They have personal history with God. They have trusted Him with parts of their life and found Him faithful, strong, and well able to heal all wounds and dispel all darkness. And having gained this personal experience with God, they now trust Him with greater and greater swiftness and joy and obedience instead of reluctance and fear and rebellion. Spiritual growth is nothing more than that relational process I just described. The job of spiritual coaching is to help people know God deeply and follow Him fully. First-hand, first-person experience with God is what builds our relationship with Him. You know, before it's a problem to be solved, every struggle is primarily a gift that drives us to God. Every opportunity to pray with others as a spiritual coach is a chance to turn their heart towards God. Uh, you know, we can adjust the popular misconception of God as a great gift-granting guru in the sky. We can instead present Him as a leader, a friend, and God who's always close by and is Himself what they need. We turn people's eyes away from the gift and onto the giver. Certainly, certainly we pray for, you know, healing and rem uh, remembering that the wound has a purpose one that they might not yet see. It's our responsibility to help them see it and to recognize what God is doing. Whatever it is, God can and will use it to draw them to himself if they let him. We need to pray for that physical healing and believe that God can do it. However, we need to remember that God may have something else in mind, something other than healing or what they're specifically asking for, and that something else, that thing that God has in mind, is far more important. So again, we need to remember that God may have something else in mind, and that something else is more important. The example that always comes to mind uh, first when I'm talking about this is Paul's uh, thorn in the flesh that you find in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 5 through 10. And here's the picture. This unspecified pain in his body, or in his flesh, it kept forcing it into his consciousness, much like the way a thorn or a sliver in your finger or foot would do. Um, you move just right, or if it's bad enough, move it all, and the pain reminds you that that sliver is there. This persistent physical pain caused Paul so much trouble and discomfort that he prayed, he even begged God to heal him, to remove that pain. But every time he prayed that prayer, God said no, by telling him that the grace, the help that he would give Paul to live with that pain was all he was going to get from God. That he, he was told that God's power would be made visible, at least to Paul, if not even to others, by the way he strengthens Paul to go on and accomplish much with the thorn still present. God's will was not a miraculous healing. God had other purposes. He was up to something. That thorn helped Paul ward off pride. It caused him to celebrate his weakness because God was made visible. Shoot, it even drove Paul to embrace his weakness, to take pleasure in it. Because when he was weak, that was when God was made strong. The gift Paul got was not a healing. It was the ability to live with it in joy, which flowed from the way his thorn made him turn to the giver and not the gift. That joy came from a relationship with God. 
So every twinge of pain, every emotional or physical uh, a wound, every time we desire something we don't have, it's a chance to turn it around into a relationship-building tool that draws us to God. God wants to, uh, to heal everyone, and will do just that someday, if not now, eventually in heaven. If not now, God always has another purpose for the thorn, and it's to grow us spiritually, to protect us from ourselves, to drive us to Him. Now, with that in mind, let's conclude by defining what it looks like for a spiritual coach to uh, score, uh, what it looks like to put the ball in the net, metaphorically, <coughs> what that looks like for spiritual coaches. So remember that we aren't responsible for how people respond to God. Consequently, transformation, however incredible, incredible it may be, is not primarily what putting the ball in the net looks like. Pointing folks to Jesus is what the score is. Pointing them away from the gift and onto the giver, and then letting them choose how they will respond. That's the score. Seeing the lights come on in a way that gives them the chance to respond to God, that's gold. When that has happened, it doesn't just put that metaphorical ball in the net, it puts the ball on their side of the court. Now the one you're coaching has to decide what to do with this new information. You're a conduit conduit through which God wants to touch a life. So staying out of God's way so that he can reach them, that's a home run. So spiritual maturity is a strong, close, deeply desired, and aggressively pursued and growing relationship with God. That's what it means to grow spiritually. That's what spiritual maturity is. It's a strong, close, deeply desired, and aggressively pursued and growing relationship with God. All right, next time on the Spiritual Coaching Podcast, I'll discuss the hope of victory over sin without, you know, teaching this sinless perfection, which I'll explain, and without assuming that victory is merely suppression or sin management instead of true release and freedom. Thank you. We're honored that you've taken the time to give us a listen as we teach spiritual coaches how to guide Christians into a full and fearless devotion to God. If you'd like to contact Pastor Kara to ask a question, give feedback, or sign up for coaching, you have two options. First, you can visit our coaching website by going to tworivers.church backslash lifecoaching. Be sure to hyphenate life coaching. When there, just click the button in the blue banner. On that page, you'll also find free tools to use in your spiritual coaching practice. Additionally, you will find a link to a blog where you can get a transcript of today's show, filled with Bible references and other content not mentioned on the podcast. Second, you can email Pastor Carrie directly at carrie at tworivers.church. That's carrie, K-E-R-R-Y, at two, T-W-O, rivers.church. If this content was helpful, please jump over to iTunes and SoundCloud. Search for the Spiritual Coaching Podcast and give us a like and share the podcast so that more people like yourself can find us. Again, thank you, and we hope to see you on our next episode of the Spiritual Coaching Podcast.